Good morning, good morning. Check, check, check. Okay, good morning and happy new year. <clears throat> this morning being January 2nd, this morning being the beginning of that time of year where resolutions tend to abound, I'd like to turn our attention this morning to the subject of change. Change in the Christian life. This is the season of change. Um, this is the time that's not unusual for people to make New Year's resolutions. When the calendar turns and everything starts all over again, there are some people who love to strategize change in their lives, to produce some structure. They even get excited about it. Oh, this year I'm going to do A, B, C, and one, two, three, and they're excited by it. And then there are others who are not like that at all. They don't like resolutions. They're tired of hearing about resolutions. And they love to crush people who make resolutions and point out as soon as they fail something they thought they would do, they'll point it out, right? This is the time of year where so many will resolve to go to the gym and for days, Maybe even a week, the gym is full. But very quickly, it trickles away. Okay, right there. I'm getting under this button. We're about to have a big accident. <laughs> we're on video, too. <laughs> All right, now. So, good morning. Happy New Year. It's time for resolutions. <laughs> I think you get the big idea of what I'm saying. This is a season of change for many people. Um, a lot of us make resolutions, a lot of us don't. You're either one of two camps, basically. A resolution maker or somebody who just despises the whole concept of it. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at what the Bible says about change. The word in the Bible is sanctification. And... Not sure how that came back up here. The word in the Bible is sanctification. And our passage that we'll focus on this morning is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. I'll give your consideration of God's word. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, 
the very God who gives you His Holy Spirit. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. A lot of wisdom in God's Word, a lot of call to change, call to live in holiness for the Lord. Let's pray that we might understand this and rightly apply it. Lord, that is our prayer as we consider this subject of sanctification, of change in the Christian life. We want to rightly apply it. We want to rightly understand it. We want to understand the grace of it in our own lives and the grace of it and the timetable in other people's lives. So Lord, would you be our teacher? We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Preacher, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's what I was told after preaching and speaking on sanctification years ago. An older gentleman in the church approached me and he said, Look, I'm, I'm the way that I am. I'm an old man. I have a short temper. I have a quick tongue. My father before me was like that. His father before him was like that. You just can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, what say you? Can you teach an old dog new tricks? Can you teach a young dog new tricks? Is change possible in the Christian life? Even profound change? Deep change? I think it is because the Bible says that it is. So the word that we're hearing this morning, I don't want to assume anyone's familiar with it, though most of you probably are. The word is sanctification. And simply put, we could summarize that teaching of Scripture like this. Sanctification is the lifelong process of Christian change. As we are made more holy and are conformed more and more to the character and likeness of Christ himself, who saves us from the penalty of sin that condemns us, and who saves us from the power of sin that ruins us. And so the daily ruin in our life, how you and I experience that we just fall short of being the kind of people that God calls us to be, Sanctification is God's work to address that kind of ruin. And it's a ruin that you should know runs deeply in every one of our hearts. So I have four topics this morning, and this is more of a teaching-oriented sermon. My apologies if it feels early to you on a rainy day in the beginning of the new year, but I just felt like this is the right subject for us to begin 2022 with. Because God's calling us to change as individuals and as a church. So let's give our attention to change. The first point is this. 
sanctification, what it's not. So I want to address what I found in my own life and people that I've known, typical misunderstandings about sanctification in the Christian life. And one of those is that it's self-cleaning. It's an effort to fix yourself. It's an effort to improve yourself. And that's just not true. Biblical sanctification is not self-cleaning, it's not self-fixing, and it's not self-improving. And you'll see why in just a minute. It's also not superficial. Sanctification is not superficial. It's not skin-deep change. It's not change that can be viewed in a mirror, right? Sanctification is a deep change, which we'll talk about in a minute. Also, sanctification is not quick and easy. It's not quick and easy. It's not like that, that macaroni and cheese that my kids love that's ready in 30 seconds in the microwave, and then you have piping hot goo that passes as mac and cheese, right? Our grandmothers understand that mac and cheese is not a 30-second project, right? There's a lot of investment in making good mac and cheese. You might say the same thing is true of sanctification. It's not quick and easy. It's not microwavable change. There's a biblical recipe, and it takes time to have what is truly change. Fourthly, it's not behavior modification. It's not a psychological approach to change. It's not a list of do these few things and you can change your behavior. There is a way to change behavior, but that's not the same as sanctification. This kind of change, really to play off things we've said in recent weeks, this is another example of where we share a vocabulary with the word, with the world, i.e. the word change. But we really have a different understanding of the meaning of it. And that is what the Bible says about sanctification as it defines it. And then fifthly, sanctification is not optional. I don't want to make that very clear that in the Bible, sanctification is part of the Christian life. It is part of who we are. There is no past. There is no excuse. There is no saying you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Sanctification is not optional. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14, which was in our reflection, we're told by the writer of Hebrews to make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy, to be different, to be set apart to the Lord. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And so there you see the imperative, God's expectation that his people will change, that they will be made more holy even as he is holy. So it is not optional. It is at the very heart of what, if you're a Christian, what your life and my life, it's a part of our story, dying to self and experiencing change. Secondly, sanctification. Well, what is it? That's what it's not. Five ways of things that it's not. What is it? Well, we can clearly say it is deep change. It's not superficial change. It's deep change. It's Holy Spirit change. The first part of verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians, which we heard a moment ago. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. 
Sanctification is learning how to live for God's glory, to please Him and not ourselves. That requires some deep structure change. Years ago, I had a, I still have a brother-in-law, but years ago he bought a house actually here in Greenwood. And after he bought the house and had it inspected and had moved in, he found that he had both plumbing problems and electrical problems. And it turns out that the previous owner had known it. They had cut into the drywall and found it. But they found that that deep structure change was not something they wanted to pay for. So they just drywalled over it, painted over it, and wallpapered over it in the bathroom so the next guy could find it. That's not sanctification on a number of levels. But that wallpapering over of the problem is what oftentimes our resolutions for change are. Masking it over. Put a little drywall over that plumbing problem and wait and see what happens, right? You need a deep structure change to affect plumbing and electrical problems. And that's exactly what God does. God says that if you're going to be holy, if you and I are going to live a different kind of life with a new passion, with a new direction, with a new motivation, you don't need behavior modification. You actually need a heart transplant. You need a new kind of heart. Now understand, in the Bible and throughout the Bible, the human heart is talked about, not so much that muscle of, of flesh that pumps blood, but it is the center of a person, the heart of a person, the inner life of the person. And in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, that's exactly how it's used. Speaking of Old Testament Israel who was unfaithful to God and who was taking his holy name in vain, the Lord said this deep structure problem would require heart change. And this is what he said. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. You see, that's deep structure change. And that's what's required for sanctification. It requires a heart transplant. It requires a new heart. Sanctification is also progressive. And it's lifelong. It's not instantaneous. It's not quick and easy like the mac and cheese. It is a progressive, slow-moving often, lifelong process of change. And if only it were on a spectrum predictable and could be calculated. But oftentimes, sanctification in our life is an up-and-down experience. But it is progressive. And it does move and change us. So we understand sanctification requires patience in our own lives and especially in other people's when we don't seem so patient with them and their pace of change. Sanctification, fourthly, also is whole person change. It's a change of that heart, a change of the heart that affects the heart's passions, 
the heart's appetites. Listen again to verses 3 through 8 in 1 Thessalonians 4. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you His Holy Spirit, that newness of life, that new heart. So sanctification, take all that and put it together. It is God's mysterious working on His timetable to transform and change a person from the inside out, even so much so that their passions and their appetites are affected. Now you think about that. Passions and appetites can be changed. That's a profound statement in a world that believes that passions and appetites are individualized and not to be questioned. The Bible says God can change those. He can recreate those. He can renew those. And that whole subject is one of sanctification. So thirdly, well, who is sanctified? Who who experiences this? The Bible is very clear here. The Bible says those who are justified are sanctified. In our own language, we've said that justification and sanctification are two sides of one coin of salvation. So what is justification? Justification is that miraculous work of God where He forgives a sinner and treats them not as their sins deserve, but as if they were as righteous as Christ Himself. We are justified by faith through grace. This is the great promise of the gospel and the one most of us want to flag God down for and say, I'm all for justification. But those who are justified are also sanctified. And as eager as we are for the forgiveness of our sins, we have to be equally eager for the newness of life that comes with it because they are inseparable in God's church. Those He justifies... He also sanctifies. The ordo salutis historically and theologically is is one way that this kind of subject has been addressed. And that is the order of salvation that we think the Bible communicates and reveals. And very quickly, I'll just say that you've heard these terms in scriptures we've read today and on other days. Terms like predestination, election, effectual calling, regeneration... Faith, repentance, justification, adoption, sanctification, and glorification. That there really is an order from beginning to end in how God works in the lives of sinners. And in that order, God always says those He justifies, He also sanctifies. They go together as a part of the order in our church at GPC and in the Presbyterian Church in America, this is, this is central to who we are. We don't think that you can claim to be justified and say sanctification is not a part of my life. 
they go together. Because in the Bible, they're always seen together. That's why Paul has that strong language of calling this to us, instructing us, and warning that those who discard this will not see the kingdom of God. So it's a strong language, and it's the language of the Bible. A little more on that, if you want to hear that order, listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Paul says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Sanctification. That He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. There you see that sense of order where when God does this, He sees it to completion. And He does this in His time, and this in His time, and this in His time. It's not on our timetable or scale, it's always on His. But it is the work that He promises to fulfill and to complete in His people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul does the same thing. And he zeroes in on specific sins in the Corinthians' lives, the church at Corinth. And I want, I'm going to read this to you, and I want you to hear it. Now, one sin is going to pop off the page to you. But he gives us more than one sin. He gives us concentric circles of sin and shows how all of us are affected by this and are called to sanctification. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this to the church. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Do you hear what he said and what good news it is? But it was bad news at first. There's this list of all the kinds of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he starts with sexual sin. But then he goes on to include items that no one could claim to escape. So everyone is indicted. But the promise is that people who are defined by those sins need not be defined by those sins any longer. Because they've been washed, they've been sanctified, they've been justified. And they're given a new name, a new purpose, a new identity in the earth. And they're called God's church, God's people. And sanctification is at the very heart of what God is doing in the life of his, of his church. This is what we would call deep cleaning. 
This is not surface level cleaning. This is not spot cleaning. This is not giving the appearance of clean. This is deep structure change. Deep cleaning. And this is what God says He does in the lives of His people. And sometimes you and I can shake our head and say, yeah, sounds good, but I mean, that's just, that's just too much. People can't change that much. God says He transforms His people on His timetable in His way. He doesn't tell us His timetable, but He tells us He does it. He tells us He will see it through to completion. And so it's a beautiful thing, the whole subject of sanctification. It's one we really don't want to hear about because who likes to change, right? We love our sinful selves, our sinful preferences. We don't like to give anything up. But God is in the business of transforming people, conforming us more and more into his very likeness, to the very image of Christ himself. So how does it work? How does sanctification ordinarily work in the lives of Christians? I have a few small points for your consideration. Number one, how does it ordinarily work? Well, it ordinarily works first because God is at work. God has said that he does it. He says he will do it. He says he'll complete it. So number one, and we call this presupposition number one in everything about ministry, is that God is at work doing what he said he would do in time and space in history. Number two, how does it ordinarily work? Well, true to salvation in the Bible, it's by grace and it's through faith. We're also told that obedience comes through faith. So sanctification, we understand, is the call of God and God enabling us, but it is our response in faith to obey the call to change, which is still hard. Because we don't like to change. But it's an obedience that comes by faith. Thirdly, how does it ordinarily work? Well, this kind of change is ignited and inflamed by God's Word and His Spirit. And over and over and over again, if you, if you were here when we studied the book of Acts, you saw that those two things were always working in tandem. God's Word and God's Spirit. Those two things, when they're together, God is at work and change happens. It ignites change and it inflames change. And then fourthly, this kind of change, this kind of whole person change, this kind of deep structure change, it's encouraged by fellowship and by community. When Christians come together in prayer, in fellowship, and with the sacraments. What are the sacraments? Well, we're going to experience one of those in just a moment. It's when God invites sinners to his table. And he actually gives us food for change. He gives us the fuel for change that we're reminded that Christ laid down his life for his sheep, that he loves them, is at work in them, will call them to glory, but in this life we're called to change and to become more and more like him. Now you take all of those ordinary means of change together, and what you find at the center of it is God's word and God's spirit 
when God's people are together. So if you think about the ministry of GPC, I would surely hope that that would summarize your experience with the GPC church family. That when we get together, God's word is central to what we do. On Sunday morning, with our youth, what they turn their attention to on Sunday night, our small groups that meet throughout the week, that God's word is central to when we gather. And we do that because we believe that's how God's spirit is going to work. It's what I need, it's what you need. We need God's word and God's spirit. Those things working in tandem will produce change in us that God is well pleased with. So as we look at 2022, as we have now begun day two of 2022, I would hope you have all kinds of resolve for change. Maybe even a list of things. But I would hope you would see the difference maybe between your list and the deep structure change of sanctification that God is calling all of us to experience. It affects the whole person of who we are, all of our appetites, all of our passions, the very nature of the kind of people that we are. Chapter 4, verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. I want you to be encouraged as you enter 2022 that God is at work. He's at work through His ordinary means of encouraging change in every one of us. Sometimes the hardest thing is just showing up and being there and being exposed to it. Listening, considering the truths of what God is saying. But it is God's will that we should be changed. He's promised to do that work and even to complete that work. And I I want to lastly encourage you that that work of sanctification, it's not disappointing when it happens. It's not to be dreaded. From one perspective, it may be like, oh, I hate change. I don't want to change. I want to be who I am. And living through sanctification is hard. And it's costly. But you're never disappointed in sanctification. C.S. Lewis speaks to this. It's a quote I've shared with you before. I love this quote. I'll leave you with this as we prepare to come to the table and as we pray for sanctification in our own lives. But on the subject of sanctification, he uses this analogy to help us understand. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here. He's putting on an extra floor there. He's running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he's building a palace. And he intends to come and live in it himself. Amen. 
We can dread sanctification and change as if it's a bad thing. It'll hurt too much. It'll cost too much. I want this person in my life. I want this boyfriend. I want this girlfriend. I don't want change. But if God calls that kind of change in your life, I can't tell you how many times I've seen it in college students' lives. Oh, so much better without that person. I never saw that coming. I didn't think I ever wanted to see that boyfriend or girlfriend go away. I thought my life was dependent upon it. Give it a few months, and whew, sanctification is beautiful. Best thing that ever happened was when God turned that page. Now, you can apply that to yourself in any number of ways. You do the work of applying that. We think we dread sanctification. God starts knocking things about in a way that unsettles us. But when we see what he has done and the good of it, we see the beauty and the wonder of it, that God is transforming us into something far different and far better than we could have ever imagined. My hope for myself, my prayer for my family, for the GPC family, is that we would be sanctified in 2022. Not skin-deep change, not change you can see in a mirror, but deep structure change that alters the very nature of the kind of people we are and that the world would see it and see for themselves, God is at work doing something that we don't understand. Let's pray that that would be true in every one of us. Lord, that is our prayer. As the hymn writer says, that you would take our lives and make them to be consecrated to yourself. You would take the moments of our days, take our hands, our feet, our hearts, our heads, everything, the whole person of who we are, and that you would sanctify us through and through, more and more, progressively for the rest of our lives. Lord, would you do this in us? We don't deserve this work. We deserve to be left as we were. But your grace abounds. You love transforming sinners, making us to be more like yourself. We simply ask you and pray that you would do it. In Jesus' name, amen.